Zechariah 13, I'll read the uh, chapter, just nine verses. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered, and I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass away from the land. And it will be that if anyone still prophesies, that his father and his mother who gave him birth to him will say to him, You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of Yahweh. And his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. And it will be in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not put on a hairy mantle in order to deceive. But he will say, I'm not a prophet. I'm a cultivator of the ground, for a man sold me as a slave in my youth. And one will say to him, What are these wounds struck here between your arms? Then he will say, uh, Those with which I was struck in the house of my friends. Uh, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man my associate, declares Yahweh of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it will be in all the land, declares Yahweh, that two parts in it will be cut off and breathe their last, but the third will be left in it, and I will bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, Yahweh is my God. <laughs> last week we looked at verse 1 and we had... Uh, you can go if you want, William. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for They're coming? Okay, good. Very good. Uh, last week, we uh, finished looking at the fountain open for uh, sin and uncleanness. Uh, we uh, had the opportunity to uh, uh, take Gary's place in the evening because he was not feeling well. But we saw that we need the Spirit to pour out grace and salvation. We need a spirit of grace and supplication. We must look on him who was pierced. We must mourn for our sins in the light of the piercing, and we must believe that there is a fountain open for sin and impurity. So now we come to a new heading, verses 2 through 6. Uh, the false prophets uh, identified, shamed, and struck down. Uh, or you might also add the word, still acting deceitfully. The false prophets still acting deceitfully identified, shamed, and struck down, verses 2 through six. Uh, our first head here is a continuation of the gospel age. This is the spirit of grace and supplication at work. God is still working with his people, and uh, not only are they looking to him who they pierce and mourning, not only is there a fountain open for sin and uncleanness, but uh, uh, this is something that these uh, people uh, will do. They will uh, uh, identify and shame uh, false prophets and those who uh, speak falsely in God's name. Uh, we notice that it's in that day. Uh, this will be accomplished, puts us in the gospel age from the time that Jesus came and now uh, waiting uh, for his return. Uh, this is not a uh, good king going throughout the land and destroying high places and uh, Baals and Asherah. This is the spiritual work of the new covenant uh, removing idols from the heart, from the individual. 
uh, also, uh, it, it looks uh, forward. Uh, several texts to help us. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Uh, so there is, a, uh, there is a focus on uncleanness, the impurity that we studied last week, and also this uh, spirit of idolatry. You, you will notice in their, in their history, post-exile uh, 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 post, uh, and into the New Testament, uh, the idols aren't mentioned, are there? Uh, Baals and Asher, you just don't hear about them. You don't hear about people sacrificing to Milcom anymore. Some idolatry was purged by God's uh, uh, severe judgments. Uh, but the, but the uh, new covenant is speaking of individuals uh, being cleansed from idols. Ezekiel 37, 23 now. They also will no longer defile themselves with their idols. All along in the other prophets we've seen idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the places of habitation in which they have sinned. That's, it's God's activity. We'll see that later. God is the one that is active. He's the one that can change this around. And I will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. And that's exactly where we're going uh, into uh, Zechariah 13, 9, ends with, I will say they are my people, and they will say Yahweh is my God. It's a new covenant blessings. The focus is on their sin and uncleanness in the gospel age, and God is determined to have a people, and we've seen that over and over. If you are a believer today, it's because God determined to save you. He worked in your life and was determined uh, to bring you. The New Testament speaks of false teaching. Even the uh, Sermon on the Mount, beware uh, of false prophets, and they come how? They disguise themselves, and we'll see some of these disguises. And then uh, 1 John 4, 1 and 2, test the spirits, see if they're uh, from God. And uh, all day long you can be told by people, oh, I don't question how the Lord affects people. I don't question when they say that it's God's work. I don't question that. And that is not, that is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to beware and to test false teachers and uh, false teachings uh, will still exist, but but not in the heart of the believer, not in true New Covenant uh, believers. Uh, there is a, a future doom for false uh, teachers. They will introduce destructive heresies, bringing swift destructum, destruction on themselves. And uh, 2, Peter 1, uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says their destruction uh, is not asleep. Uh, Babylon falls, Revelation 18, 2. Revelation 20 and verse uh, 1 through 10, the, the total, complete uh, annihilation of, of Satan. And then next we see Yahweh's uh, threefold plan for the false prophets and idols. I will cut off the names of the idols uh, from the land. Uh, as I mentioned, some of those names uh, were not spoken of anymore. They will no longer be remembered. And he will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass away uh, from the land. You, you can see the, the future-looking uh, aspects of this. You remember, I think we mentioned a number of weeks ago, uh, that Jesus is 
the strong man. You, you can't overtake somebody's home unless you're stronger than them. And, and he, has, he has done that. He has come to begin to uh, 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 deal with the, the devil's reign and rule. He began the, the war against the satanic uh, spirits and in this way uh, bound the strong man. And there are many, many examples of spiritual warfare. Uh, the war wages on, uh, but the true believer uh, is no idolater, nor are they enticed to follow false teachings. One of the saddest parts of the false teaching is when you realize that a false teacher is speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people all the time. And you wonder, uh, as some people will say, well, they can't be Christians. They're sitting there every week listening to false teaching. How does... How does the spirit, uh, this spirit dwell in those people when they, when they have somebody who claims to speak in the name of the Lord but doesn't uh, really do it? So we looked at the uh, continuation and Yahweh declares, now we, we see in verse 3, uh, an internal uh, conflict. The false prophet is opposed uh, by his parents. Uh, there's some striking wording in, in parallels here. If you look at Jesus, he prophesied truth. Uh, this uh, son uh, prophesies lies in the name of the Lord. Uh, in, in Christ, unbelievers taunted him and accused him. Here the believing parents uh, accused and deal with uh, the false prophet's son. And uh, unbelievers uh, pierced uh, Jesus. And here the uh, believing parents uh, pierce their son. I put that in quotes. There's nothing in the New Testament that says if your, your son starts to teach false things that you should uh, take a knife to him, uh, stab him, or, or do anything like that. The, the, uh, we'll get to that, but there, there is not a lot of discussion, at least uh, in the, on that point. Uh, and then uh, uh, the people will mourn uh, for the one that they pierce, but the parents will also mourn uh, that their son demonstrates these things. So the proposed situation is parents that confront their child about, uh, notice, speaking falsely in the name of Yahweh. And this is the core sin of the false prophets. False teaching, misrepresenting of God, misrepresenting of situations. We have mentioned it before. God talks to me. He revealed himself to me. He told me this. He told me that. The one guy gave God advice. The one guy said he, God was sad and he cheered him up. That's all blasphemy. That is at the core of, of all their teaching, uh, blasphemy. The parents say to this person, say to their son, who they bore, it says, there's no doubt where he came from, you shall not live. Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 through 11, the, the parents and family members have an obligation uh, to kill the one who, in the text there it says, entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods. Look, th this stuff that you're listening to, this isn't right. I want to tell you something else, but don't, don't tell anybody I told you. This is this new teaching that's going on. A lot of, uh, a lot of the false prophets use that very thing. This is kind of secret. Not a lot of people know that. The Gnostic heresy that came very soon after uh, this time 
was all about that secret knowledge. There's only a few people that know this. So in the Deuteronomy passage, it says, they should be the first to raise their hand. Back then, the context was, you take the person, you take them to the elders, the, the leaders, and you say, he is trying to entice people away uh, from God, and uh, uh, that person would be put to death. In the past, that was the rule for Israel. In the present, uh, the rule in Zechariah's day, because of the false prophets and idolaters, that nation is now just recovering from the complete destruction and exile caused by idolatry. And so now, in this day, false prophets will not be tolerated. You remember Zechariah's conflict. It's, it's the same. Zechariah said, I was preaching, I was prophesying. What happened? Their soul wearied of me, and I became impatient with them. He asked for wages. They gave him just a pittance and threw it back. That fulfilled prophecy. And then uh, uh, Zechariah says, in, in, uh, in the one month I annihilated uh, the, the three uh, false shepherds. Uh, so now, in the future, the future predicts family tension uh, as a, a condition. And this uh, condition is described in Micah chapter 7. Micah looks out over the nation and he says, The Holy One has perished from the land and there is no upright person among men. Micah 7 verse 2. And then... Micah 7, verse 6, son treats father as a wicked fool. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, Matthew 10, uh, uh, 32 and 33. If you confess me before the father, I'll confess you. If you deny, I will deny you. And then Matthew uh, 10, 34 through 37 goes on and says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. But I, for I have come, three, three comes, Jesus is telling you, here's, here's why I didn't come, here's why I did come to do. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. That's the fulfillment of Micah 7 verse 6 and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In the, in the context, in the picture that we have, the parents would say, all right, look, we know you're a false prophet, but you're our son. Don't, don't say anything. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to take any action against you. They would love the wicked son more than Christ. Here, Christ says, you have total allegiance to me or, or, or none. If you're not making those choices, you're like the person who's not confessing me before the Father. That's the point. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Your cross could be internal tension, family tension. Why are you always witnessing to me, mom? Why are you always this? Why are you always that? Uh, my mom and my grandmother used to uh, bug me about it. And that's exactly what I would say. Leave me alone. 
Stop talking about that stuff. Uh, my grandmother wasn't uh, adept with scriptural truth, but she will say, it's like you're in a shell. You need to come out of your shell. Uh, it would drive me crazy. Uh, my mom was a little more bold and would say, no, you're, you're living a, a wicked life. That is the tension of the gospel. And you say, well, I never had any of this tension in my home. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe that's good. Maybe the uh, children submitted and children became Christians. That is good. That's, that's wonderful. But if you're in a home where there's that tension, you, you think, I, I don't want to face the tomorrow. I don't want to wake up and have all this tension going on. But it just seems like it keeps coming and coming, and it's unavoidable. And you say, I'm not doing anything more than preaching and teaching the gospel. I'm not doing anything more than telling my children, hear God's word, obey your parents, and, and follow the Lord. I'm not doing anything that's oppressive or this or that. But if you're in my home and you're not following, then you need to be told. You need to repent. You need to believe. Uh, so uh, so that, is, uh, uh, that is all with the purposes. Don't think I've come to bring peace on the earth. And there's a mistake that people make. They think, oh, Jesus, everybody's Christian. Every, everything's fine. Everything's good. That's not true. So don't think that, oh, uh, if I'm a Christian and my family members are not, Jesus will just bring peace. The, he, he will if you keep your mouth shut and never witness to them, which that, then that's on you. But that's what he says. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. It goes right back to what do the, what do the parents do? They pierce. They pierce. He says, I know it. My teaching divides uh, the, the pictures of God's word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The picture in Revelation, what's coming out of his mouth? Two-edged sword. He judges the nations by his words. So that is the, the framework. Believers confessing Christ. Not peace, but a sword. I came for this. I didn't come for that. I came for this. I didn't come for that. And he's setting people in the household uh, against one another. And then there is the question, who do you love more, Jesus or your family? That's basically the idea. Uh, there's many illustrations uh, of that. I believe Wednesday uh, uh, I, I mentioned some of those things. Uh, we used to get reports from uh, uh, Turkey and other places where they literally would change the guy's name to give a report about him because they didn't want any email to get pushed around or sent any place. They would change the names of people in China. Pray for George. Yeah, there's a lot of Chinese people named George, right? P pray for Fred. Yeah, there's a lot of Turkish people named Fred. But you could, you could remember that if Fred, right, his name could have been Farouk. You, you were praying for Fred, but you knew that this man was cast out of his family. Some of these people, uh, their wives, they were converted. Now they got their wives saying, you're, you're, you're worse than an infidel. You're horrible. Uh, uh, some, sometimes those prayer letters, are, we were told, don't distribute this at all. Don't forward it. Don't do anything. Go to the back of the room. Read the report. I'm going to throw it away after today. 
Matthew Henry says, natural affections, even the strongest, must be overruled by gracious affections. And then verse 3, the parents pierce the prophet through. Uh, besides speaking to their son uh, about speaking falsely in the name of Yahweh, the parents take action. They, they pierce him. Uh, many commentators mentioned that this animosity and outrage and loving Christ supremely and, and, and above the family. And the piercing continues the image that we saw already, the look on him who is pierced. And there's a lot of opinions about this, but, but, but it's continuing that imagery. And then if you notice uh, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. God's saying, I'm going to raise a sword against my own uh, my own son in this case. So there is imagery that coincides, it fits together. The mourning for sin and the spirit of grace and supplication produce this zeal for the name of Yahweh. You're going to speak falsely in the, in the name of Yahweh, you're going to have me to deal with, the father would say. To the, the mother would say, don't mention that false teaching in here. You're going to get out if you keep doing it. We're going to uh, deal with it. Uh, there's no direction, as I mentioned before, in the New Testament to bring a, a false prophet to judgment in this way. It, it talks about animosity. The animosity in the, in the passage was clear. Mother-in-laws against sister, you know, everybody in the, the family is at odds. The, the sword is in the family. But notice, but notice Jesus didn't mean a physical sword, did he? Right? It's a spiritual sword. There's a sword that's working. But it's not, oh, you're a false teacher? Let me get my, let me get my big kitchen knife and run you through. That's, that's not the New Testament idea. And uh, Mr. Webb seems to have the best description that I saw. And, and most commentators just don't even talk about what, is it, what does it mean. They are probably not intended as a literal description of something that will happen in the future. Like stabbing, stabbing your kid. Oh, false teacher? I'm going to stab you. We bring him to the ER, right? Oh, how come you got stabbed? Well, I was speaking falsely in the name of the Lord. That, that's not the idea. But like the, like the, uh, like the uh, command in Deuteronomy 13 are meant to give us a, a salutary. That means uh, something that promotes health, uh, promotes the removal of bad things. It's to give us a salutary shock. So it's supposed, to, it's supposed to say, wow, that's serious. Uh, similar to Jesus' teaching. If your right hand causes you to sin, what should you do with it? How many times do you think in my life I should have cut my right hand off? How many times have I looked at something wrong that I should have poked it out? He says the climate is going to be as if there was sword fighting right there in the living room, right there in the kitchen. Salut, uh, give us a salutary shock and assure us that on the last day, all lying in God's name will be over. He will make a purified people and they will share totally in God's own condemnation of evil and be free from all the defilement that it brings. You, you uh, uh, if you're obligated, you're obligated, test the spirits, look at false prophets and you, you would be obligated to tell your neighbor, oh, I watch so-and-so on TV. I listen to this person. I listen to that person. You would be obligated to say, that person teaches false doctrine. 
So many people, they listen to these people. They like them. He's my favorite. She's my favorite. And you say, well, they, they just teach health, wealth, and prosperity. They teach name it and claim it. The guy blasphemes every time he stands before other people. Don't you see it? And, uh, and, and that's, uh, that's the, the, uh, the climate. That there is somebody who not only sees this passage and gets a salutary shock, but somebody that will shock somebody else out of false teaching by saying, no, he teaches four or five false uh, teachings. All of God's true people will what? Know the truth and the truth will make you free. And if somebody is uh, in falsehood, then I should tell, him, tell them about it. So next, the false prophets hide in shame. Notice in, in verse 4, here's a future problem. It's all in that day. It's all according to God's declaration. It's all pictured in the, in the future. Uh, and it's in that day. What day? Well, we would just go right back to the gospel age. And from the time Jesus came till the end. We saw what God did to idolaters. That's why there's post-exilic prophets. And uh, here's, here's what they do. They practice the art of deception. That is the whole thing. That's what they practice. That's what they figure out how to do. Uh, you will hear all sorts of excuses. You will hear all these things. And basically that's it. And there's two stages. First of all is shame. And the second is cover up. Uh, when Jesus spoke in, in Matthew 7, 15. Uh, oh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. When God's people know the truth, the false prophet is shamed. He can't say to his parents, I'm a prophet. He can't say to me or you, if I understand the truth, uh, follow this. Let me secretly tell you what's going on. My church has this inner circle. Uh, uh, one of our members uh, or future members deals with that. This inner circle that everybody knows and everybody has this special knowledge and the other people outside, they don't have that. So without examining them, and, and they're teaching and making an assessment. But, uh, but you'll notice what it happens. It will be in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He's like, well, I can't go around anymore telling people these false things without, without backlash, without somebody challenging me. I've got to do something else. And uh, it, it's very obvious that that's what they do. It's purposeful deception and picturesque deception. Uh, notice, notice what they do. The false vision and prophecies that bring shame. So the false prophet, prophet he kind of goes underground or he finds a way to, uh, like in our day, uh, to go mainstream. Well, let's just, let's just fill in, you know? Everybody's talking about the spirit, so I'll talk about the spirit. I'll say God spoke to me. I'll say this. I'll say that. I'll say I have this gift, that gift, the other gift, and everything like that. And notice what they don't do. They don't, they will not put on a hairy mantle in order to deceive. Uh, it looks back at uh, Elisha and Elijah. 
And uh, a prophet used to dress like a prophet. A prophet uh, was a prophet. They, they, they lived on the money that uh, people would give them. They lived by the support of uh, who, who knows who. They didn't have all this cash, so they were plain, simple. And they took this mantle and put it on themselves. Uh, John the Baptist, what did he come do? He had, this, he had this girdle. He ate honey. He was out in the wilderness. That's the last one, isn't it? It's the last person that said, here I am. I'm a prophet. I dress like a prophet. I speak a prophet's words. I have the ministry of the prophet. And the false prophets say, I can't do that. It looks too much like a prophet. I can't sneak my false teaching in if I look like that. Because that's what people really expect. They expect a John the Baptist. They expect an Elijah. They expect somebody who comes and says, thus says the Lord. And their words are confirmed. I can't do that. Uh, so, he doesn't look like a prophet. There's no hairy mantle. And, and Matthew says, or, or Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. No, they don't wear sheepskins. Well, I, I don't. The mantle wasn't working, so I got the sheepskin. No, it's their teaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's all calculated. Jesus goes on to say you have to examine them. You have to look for the fruit that's born. But the, the false teachers, what could they say? Well, I have a global ministry. Well, the God of this world has blinded the minds of all believing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your ministry is global. It could be global deception. It could be global blinding. The, too many times, too many times, especially here in America, new and improved, bigger, better, right? That's what we think. Oh, big is good. That's not. For certain persons have done what Jude says, crept in unnoticed. And the grace of God is turned into sensuality. Second Peter 2.1, they secretly introduce destructive heresies can't go you can't go into your house anymore and say I'm a false prophet I'm this I'm that you, you've you've got to uh, be deceitful and many start with many start with the spiritual stuff God spoke to me I, I was on you know I was in my living room I was out in the field and this and that and this and now now I'm this it's over and over and over again the, the same story and, and this, this is exactly what they do. It's a poor me dialogue, verse 5 and 6. What do they say? He denies being a prophet, but he admits to being a slave, a cultivator of the ground who is sold into slavery. Well, let me tell you this sad story. I never wanted this ministry. I never really did that because I was only a farmer. And I was sold into slavery when I was young. One of the most popular guys said, oh, I was raised up under fire and brimstone. My dad preached sin and repentance and guilt and hell. And I didn't want that. And he just changed the whole thing. Giant church, $10 million home, almost as, 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 as many. Uh, uh, his cars are worth almost as much as his house, 10 million bucks. But he, he didn't want fire and brimstone. No. I get to put on a different I get to put on a different garment. I didn't want that. 
And he'll tell you, he's been over in India and he's seen very sincere Hindu people and he doesn't think God is going to forget about them either. Well, that's, that sounds like it's so gracious, isn't it? But it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Basically, they continue to say this, I'm more gracious than God. I'm kinder than God. I'm getting away from this sin and judgment and all that stuff. Let's move on to something else. This story fits with all, all the stuff that they say. Strange stories of how this happened and this and that and this and everything. So he comes up with this concocted thing. And then in verse 6, somebody checks him on it. It's like somebody sees him. One will say to him, what are these wounds that are struck between your arms? Uh, then he will say, uh, those are words which I was struck in the house of my friends. So here's another story, isn't it? Somebody's, somebody's got some idea. You know, this doesn't, this doesn't match up. I don't know about this guy. And these marks and wounds, it's really discussed qu quite a bit. There's actually uh, people that said it's, it's Christ and it's the wounds that he displayed. I don't think so. I think this is all a prophet who's been found out, who's trying to deceive, and, and he fits with all the descriptions of, of prophets and false prophets. They're tricky. They deceive. And one of the best ways to deceive is to get people to feel sorry for you. Oh, you know what happened to me? You know what? I was in the house of my friends and they mistreated me. They beat me up. Nobody treats me the right way. He's noticed as being suspect, and since this is about him being ashamed and covering up, this just seems to be somebody who had the right idea like his parents. Well, that, that doesn't sound like correct teaching. Oh, oh, oh. Uh. So there's some speculation. Remember the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves. You remember other things. Or uh, some people say, well, uh, it, it uh, uh, between the palms or, or you know, that, that, that he displayed some other thing that, uh, that just, they were just like, I'm not sure about that. Uh, these guys actually know it. Uh, I, I've seen that uh, a number of times. Uh, they actually know it. Uh, did the parents really mark him? Did he participate in pagan r rituals? Uh, did he uh, do something? Or is this just like a symbolic thing? Well, if you're not teaching a false, if you're not a false teacher, how come you've said this before? If you're, not a, if you're not a false teacher, how come you never preach about repentance and dancing around that they, and dance around they go? Well, the, the Greek word for repentance just means to turn. So we just tell people to turn. But you have to repent from something. You have to turn from something to another, another thing. They just leave it out, but they think that's a satisfactory explanation. Well, I'm even mistreated by my, my friends. I'm even mistreated by the, uh, the, uh, my friends in, in the, my friend's house. Well, that's how you should be treated, right? Well, what did it say? Your parents noticed it, and they checked you on it, and, and they kicked you out, or they gave you the wounds and told you you're an evil man. And, uh, and what else? Now you go and somebody else says, oh, I wonder about you. It follows. They're ashamed of the visions and prophecies, so they don't take a mantle. Then they lie about their childhood. Oh, I, I was just, I was a slave. Somebody sold me. All I've been doing is, is I've been a farmer. I'm not a prophet. I've just been a farmer. 
whatever the wounds are, here comes this other poor me concocted lie. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's the same concocted thing. Like, I'm just a farmer. I was just a slave. I'm not a false worshiper. I, I, I don't show signs of false worship. My friends beat me up. I'm just a person that gets mistreated wherever I go. There's that stupid old song, Why is everybody always picking on me? See, that's, that's, that, that's, that's the idea. Oh, I get no respect. Wherever I go, no respect. I never get any respect. Well, that's what these trying to... to but they come up with these common complaints. Uh, one of their things is, don't judge. Don't judge. This is a, a big, big thing now. You can't say boo to anybody. Oh, you're being judgmental. You're being judgmental. No. I'm supposed to test the spirits. I'm supposed to beware of all false teachers. It doesn't mean I can't make a decision about truth or falsehood in my entire life. Otherwise, I'm judgmental. And you could tell somebody, yes, you're right. I am judging between truth and error. I'm judging between what God says and what you say. I don't go around just judging. The context is that I got a big, big piece of wood sticking out of my eye. And I'm telling him, look at that speck on your shirt. I have this overbearing thing. Look at, look at the way he styles his hair. Look at that. He does this. His family's like that. His family's, that's a person that's judging, not a person that says that's false teaching. It's truth or error. The true people of God know the truth and the truth makes them free. They say, but God blesses my ministry. And their blessing has to be un uncovered too. How could God bless false teaching? How could God bless the blasphemous things you say all the time? How could it truly be blessing when you turned away from true repentance and faith and now you just tell people they can have their best life now? That's what's going on. Satan is attacking me and I, I've seen this a number of times. This is what happens. This is what happens when God does a work. Satan is always there to attack. That's, that's what they say. Why is everybody always picking on me? I got injured in my friend's house. Oh, you think you're a Christian? And now you're telling me I'm a false prophet. It's Satan. Satan's attacking me. Satan wants to stop my work. It sounds good to some people. And they get other people to believe it. Oh, that's just an attack of Satan. It's the deceived and the de deceived. Then there's a seared conscience, active conscience thing. And this, and this is interesting too, because uh, I've seen that. They know they're teaching falsehood. And all of a sudden they say, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. I've seen them with their, their stupid microphones prancing around. And, all, and they're teaching and they're doing all this. And all of a sudden they stop. I'll probably get in trouble for this. I'll probably get some mail about this. And that's what happens because they're teaching lies. They're teaching falsehood. They come up with their own concocted view of the cross of Christ. Uh, their conscience, as they're, as they're speaking lies and blasphemy, they say, all oh, uh, you know, well, that's, that's the way it happens to me. I go to my friend's house and I get beat up. 
And, and those are the things. I'm going to get in trouble for saying it. I've seen them say it over and over again. And, and that's just what they do. Well, uh, uh, as usual, we, we fell far short of what the goal was, but that's fine. Um, uh, next week, we'll see Yahweh declaring and executing his sovereign purposes. He, he has people that he's going to save, and we will see that that, that will happen uh, no matter what. That's another good passage of Yahweh saying, I will, I will, I will. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would guide and direct us into your truth. We know that your word is truth, that we are to be sanctified in truth. We know that uh, all who uh, believe the truth are made free in Christ. We pray that, we'd be beacon, that we would be beacons and lights of the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.